Recording's on. All right. Welcome on, Hector, and welcome everyone back. This is another episode of the GTM Kickback, the number one go-to-market leadership interview and strategy podcast in the world. We've got a fantastic guest here today to talk about another fantastic topic, Mr. Hector Forwood, founder and CEO of Comtora, here to talk to us about how to do sales enablement right, how to work in the modern technology and, and data-enabled world that we live in right now. And I think a lot of what we're going to talk about today, Hector, in terms of what you've done with your business and what you guys do to help support other sales organizations across the globe is, yes, very insightful on its own, but also insightful due to the topicality of the market that we were just talking about before we, we clicked record here, right? It's necessary to get the most out of everything you're doing right now. And you guys are helping people do that. But I mean, say less. Thanks for joining and, and being willing to do this with me. This is going to be an exciting one. Do you want to give us a super brief introduction and background on you and the business and what you guys do? Yeah, sure. Well, thank you for that glamorous introduction, Joe. I appreciate it. So, <laughs> the crowd's <laughs> roaring. Yeah. A little bit about myself for, for any listeners out there. So, I started my career at a, a company called Cognizant, which is uh, the number one Zoom Info competitor, and scaled that from zero to about. 12 million ARR and 150 employees by the time I left. And then <clears throat> throughout that period, I've always wanted to Incredible. build something to support my team because when you move into management, one of the things that you stop doing is kind of focusing too much on your prospects and more becoming like a therapist and anything that you can do to help them not stress out when it gets to end of quota or make them feel like they're supported in the right way is, is really impactful and important. And so one of the things that we started looking at initially was automatically updating CRMs using transcription. And then because of the market and the way that everything is going, people are investing less and less into workflow tools. And so we started kind of getting feedback. And as you correctly pointed out, doing less with more, sorry, more with less is the theme of 2023. And so what we do at Comtora is basically breaking down the silos between conversational intelligence, so call recording solutions like Gong, Chorus, like, and the CRM, and then creating a roadmap of those conversations to see what's working and not working, how that impacts revenue at a, at a really granular level. So it's a really couple of quick examples like loss analysis. So why exactly you're winning or losing deals? Because as I'm sure most managers know, everyone puts our budget, pricing, timing, but that's a really vague answer and doesn't actually help you understand why it is. And typically it's because they don't specifically identify the correct pains, the right people aren't involved, a huge variety of factors. Then the other is we help find those winning questions and pivotal moments in conversations that actually drive the deal progression and get it converted into revenue. And then the last one, which relates to enablement more specifically, is the impact of their coaching. It is really hard to attribute, uh, you know, we did two hours of role-playing sessions on, on discounting and, and this is the, the result. You don't typically find that out until you've had two or three sales cycles to, to justify that. Yeah. And yeah, so with that, we, yeah, exa exactly. So we're looking to help VPs of sales, heads of sales and, and enablement teams. <clears throat> That's amazing, man. Well, you through this, obviously, business and just your experience with the likes of Cognizant and other organizations 
past, you've become more or less an expert in the world of sales enablement. Can you kind of walk through, let's just go macro for a little bit, sales enablement technology, its evolution over the last couple of years and what is modern tech stack look like in a modern business? Like who do you see or what are the attributes like the highest performing teams in terms of how they're using sales enablement and a bit about sort of the, the progression for it, right? And obviously you guys are a bit of bleeding edge on this, right? I mean, that that's a solution that isn't adopted at mass, but obviously it can be extremely critical to certain levels of success and especially the, the data-driven world that we live in. Can, can you walk through sort of what you see as like the modern sales enablement stack and how that's changed over the last couple of years? Sure. So when enablement started kicking about in kind of 2000 and so it's probably 2013 and 14. It was one of the later elements to a organization having its own specific dedicated department because it was always wrapped up in a mixture of sales operations and the frontline managers, whether it's the sales manager, head of sales, VPs of sales, and they were doing all of that coaching themselves. And then as teams started getting more mature and finding all of these different pools of data, whether it be in their CRM or in cadencing solutions like Salesloft and Outreach. And if I'm thinking back that that far, you know, when it kicked things off, you would probably just have, yeah, your, your CRM, maybe a content management solution if you're a little bit more, more mature of an organization to help, you know, send the right collateral, like case studies and those kinds of things. And I saw a lot of companies retrofitting their academy being a, a training program that any new joiner would join a company in those in those platforms and it was a bit like sticking a, a circle peg into a, a triangular hole and, and they weren't really fit for purpose and then what you've started seeing more more lately as enablement teams have become more crucial than ever is there's enablement specific platforms like a couple of really good ones i i like a lot are e4 enable is an amazing one and then another called U-Hubs, which has been described as the money ball of SaaS, which is pretty neat, but they only started a year ago. So that just shows how much it's progressed and how new it is. Even E4 Enable, I think, has been going for, for three or four years. But if you think about how long Salesforce or, or even Salesforce yeah <laughs> it doesn't seem like there's it doesn't seem like there's a central force here right like in the crm space and, and sales data space in that regard there's a sales mm -hmm. force there's a hubspot there's a there's a, a couple pillars to that world of technology and and those regards the sales enablement is just making its way there still it seems like there's lots of incredible technology out there but i mean is there a, a central force and, and i don't know that's pulling it all together not <sighs> Not that's holistic enough, like like a cadencing solution or a CRM. And that's because if you sell, let's say, a low ACV product where it's like $5,000 a month, sorry, $5,000 for the year, and your, your sales cycle is, let's say, five to 10 days, you could probably train someone on that in in a week or two. And, and you know, thinking about, I don't know, flogging advertising space for, for a newspaper, right? Whereas if you're yeah. selling SAP or Oracle, you know, I spoke to a couple of the reps there and their academy lasts nearly nine months. And so it's, Jeez. It, yeah, it's, it's so wildly different. <laughs> it's a platform that accurately can encapsulate everything from both ends of the spectrum. I haven't seen one that's, that's really blown me away. And I think, yeah, imagine, thing. 
imagine starting a new sales job and you've got nine months in an academy before you're really hitting the deck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's something. I, I spoke to the VP of sales at SAP and he said they, they wouldn't promote an SDR to an AE unless they've been an SDR for two years minimum. So it's not about capabilities or ability or, or how well you perform or anything else. It's, it's purely a matter of, of time. Like you've got to earn your time strength. spent in a role. Yeah. yeah. Which, which I think is personally, I think is very broken, right? Because, you know, if you were consistently sure. doing 200%, you're probably a little bit special and should be allowed the opportunity to, to grow. And kind of relating yeah. this back to the, the technology piece. So having visibility of, of your enablement programs and, and whether you're, they're working or not working is kind of broken into these two different buckets of, right, so a leading indicator is pipeline growth, quota attainment, time to first deal, conversion rates of, of leads to opportunities and, and the length of the deal cycles. And then you have the lagging indicators being, okay, how many new logos do they bring on board? What's the win-loss rate? And, and what's the sales velocity, so the communication between both parties. And trying to say, okay, you know, I did, I did those workshops and I specifically impacted the, the deal cycle length and I reduced it by 10%, which resulted in 50% you know, more revenue is really hard for enablement teams. And so trying to find a platform that can do that well, as I was saying, there, there are, I mentioned a couple there, but I, I don't think there are any that have really taken hold of the market just yet <laughs> yeah so that's a big opportunity hole that could come mm -hmm. in the next couple of years one of these ones that maybe you mentioned or something entirely new well yeah. when there's no central technology or operating force right from that front usually it means there's a person <laughs> that is that central force and until they're inside of an organization right what have you seen in terms of the people aspect of this who's running and managing these technologies and making these decisions right in terms of what's best practice and how to follow through on it right and how are they operating like or how are the best of the best operating their sales enablement programs internally so there's a guy called who, who I recommend you follow and actually a co-host a, a podcast with him he's, he's called kieran smith and he's currently working at a, a company called andela and I was blown away by what he's done at that company. And if you look at his, his Gong account and his, his CI platform, he has listened to nearly two and a half thousand demos of his team. And if you compare that to Jeez. any other manager, they've listened to about, I think it's about 400. So he's nearly five times the amount. And he is someone that fully understands every pain point, every nuance of conversation, absolutely everything. And I asked him how he did it. And he very simply just showed me his calendar and he has, he has four hours blocked out in the morning to listen at one and a half times speed of his team's, his team's demos. And no Netflix binges, my, no podcasts, <laughs> no, no time with the wife or kids. It's all yeah, demo exactly. recording session. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I think, I think it's just a really simple process makes him stand up more than a lot of the other enablement teams that I've seen personally is you, you've just got to do the work, right. And, and sit there and, and listen to it. Cause if I talk about bad practices first is, is one is they, they're reactive. So someone on my team is underperforming. Now I'm going to go and have a look at their deals and say, oh, you're doing this wrong, this wrong, and this wrong. But 
by fully understanding all the conversations, even if someone is maintaining at a, a, a relatively consistent close win rate or, or deal size or whatever metric it is that you're benchmarking against, you can still find areas for improvement and you could probably prevent them from even reaching the point where, where they were underperforming. And so I think being proactive and actually going out and finding those nuances for individual reps and, and creating a cohesive channel of communication between, between your team and, and the enablement team is so vastly underrated. And it's much more just focused around how can I push these deals over the line, which don't get me wrong, it's really important at the month, end of quarter. But if you actually create this process of saying, okay, we're doing one-to-one workshops, you, you, the best enablement people will customize each rep's training program. Too many companies, in my opinion, use this blanket approach of, okay, well, we lost 60% of our deals this month to, to this competitor. So I'm going to use a sweeping brushstroke and do a three-hour workshop on, on just this competitor. Well, that might be applied yeah. to, let's say, like two or three members of the team. The other seven have to sit through and just listen to you moan about how to do objection handling for a competitor <laughs> when they already know all this. And that's, that's just terrible. So again, the, the best ones will create these customized programs and identify these specific moments yeah. where someone might be really good at pain discovery, other ones might be really good at negotiation, but weak in something else. And then also one of the things that, that our platform kind of allows you to do is cross-reference who's really good at what topics. So, so if that's someone's very good at, let's say, agenda setting and pair those two account executives together, one who's underperforming, one who's overperforming in that specific area. And so peer-to-peer learning through mutual respect is, is as good as, you know, your enablement person and, and deploying that training yourself. And so I think there's a lot of missed opportunities there for a cross collaboration internally between reps themselves, not, not just the, the enablement person themselves. That, that kind of answers the question that popped in my head as you were saying that is when ego bespoke and individualistic and your training plans, the problem that you run into is the problem of scaling that, right? When yeah. you get past 10 people, right? And you've got one sales enablement manager. And, it's hard to do that, especially if you've got 2,500 demos to listen to, right, on your on your weekday mornings. Um, <laughs> what do you see as a solution to the scaling issue, right, as opposed or in addition to, you know, using peer-to-peer learning and things like that to sort of expand internally? Sure. So joining a company, if they don't have a onboarding program or an academy of some description to, to skill you up, I'd, I'd run a mile if any reps are listening to this. What that onboarding program consists of is a breakdown of your ICP in a lot of detail and a combination of emails, blog posts, call recordings of them talking about their pain point and also industry news relating to that pain point as well. Because prospects ultimately trust subject matter experts who understand on their level inherently what it is, what the, the issues that they're facing. And so that onboarding program is, is phase one. And then the academy is highlighting specific objections or calls that were handled really well when it could have gone pear-shaped. And allowing your team to essentially dictate what the most impactful points of conversation are and build up this, this, this academy. And some companies give out certificates for, okay, you got, you know, a, a, I don't know, certificate in objection handling or, or discovery questions. 
and then also you need to incentivize them through something e either like spiffs for example so sales, sales performance improvement plans and those can be really helpful to either on the manager's side of getting them to help create the academy because it's a lot of documentation right like you know if you're if you're a team of 100 people and you've had the kind of hacky startup mentality and you're really trying to scale up especially in this year when it's more challenging you have to incentivize people to yeah. want to go through and find the 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 golden material and this golden data that companies are sitting on and without the incentive for you to be able to do that it's very challenging to to scale correctly i think one of the other things that's that's important is when you are going through that that scaling phase of your enablement rather than just relying on to on peer-to-peer -peer and directly coaching them that's where things like i mean bluntly what we do right is is identifying these moments at scale for specific teams to, to help them collaborate yeah. but i would say you know if you're an mba mba coach like you've got to watch call recordings or, or recordings of the matches to see what your team were doing right and doing wrong if you don't have conversational intelligence in your tech stack you're, you're basically flying blind and likewise even if you're I, I spoke to one team the other week that was sitting on they were shadowing their team's calls which is a bit weird for prospects as well if you say like oh, I've got I've got my manager here don't worry he's not going to say anything and <laughs> another guy just you know. sitting there on the zoom <laughs> yeah yeah like it's, I mean, it's okay but it throws people off a little it's also wildly time inefficient like you could be yeah. going through so much more stuff and at scale and you, you can't put 1.5 times speed on a real-time conversation right i mean unless someone, someone's drank a lot of coffee that day but it's <laughs> it's it's not scalable so i think i think that's just such a core element of what you need in your tech stack to succeed in today's environment yeah but to lead into the next point where i had written down we've talked about this a bit but the data and using it to your advantage i'm kind of curious about what are the important factors for quality of you're you're aggregating and analyzing all of this. Things are changing rapidly from a macro perspective and the economy and business and selling tactics and in terms of buyer response indicators, right? But they're also changing micro as companies are growing, developing new products, they're changing their pitches, they're changing their ICPs that they're going after. Like, how do you keep up with that when it's constantly evolving? Because it's not like you're just aggregating all this data and then you've got this fantastic library of you know novels that are evergreen for the rest of forever. Like, what are you sort of looking for for the attributes in it, right? And like, how are you keeping up with that evolution specifically when it comes to sales enablement and even just the conversational intelligence data? Because I can imagine it's just a constant churn right or, or cycle of, of new things and new ideas coming in and out right so it's almost more important for something like what you guys have as the economy moves faster and faster as we naturally progress in the tech world right yeah absolutely so really interesting point because someone spoke to me about this literally two days ago because they're launching a or they've sorry they've launched a, a regional office so they're a uk initially uk based company and they've launched over in the us and they had they they acquired another company and the US team that they'd acquired to launch the office had to learn the old product of, of the UK EMEA based team and, and they'd kind of bundled it into one. And they release, I think they they mentioned that they release a new product or, or feature at least almost every two weeks, right? So that's incredibly Jeez. challenging. 
yeah it's yeah. it's a very aggressive <laughs> product team and the challenge with that as you correctly pointed out is okay how most conversational intelligence platforms work is through keyword analysis so they they say like okay how many times was lo- the login button mentioned in a specific time and it is really difficult to use that because of all the different sentences and phrases that that could be combined in that it's relevant data and so what we've built is a natural language processing and AI algorithm that will basically pick up these new topics as they're evolving over a period of time. And if we see a huge spike in someone mentioning login button, it will basically look in a contextual way and say, okay, this is a new thing that that we should be paying attention to. And yeah. for example, this one company, if I looked at our data set as nearly 110 different topics. But that also leads me to my next point, which is when to, to stay on top of all of these things and, and as the market shifts, it's really important not to overwhelm people and just highlight the five, let's say the five most important things. Because if I, you know, if I told you, hey, you've got 110 things you need to fix, you'll <laughs> like, there's no way you can action all of that before in, in this case, before another feature is released in that two week cycle, right? So we think about, okay, what is the core metric that we need to move? whether it be shortening the, the deal cycle and scaling up this team on the new product and say, okay, these 10 reps haven't been mentioning anything to do with the, the new feature set that, that just got released. Yeah. So here, here's the list of names, go, go crack some skulls. And then the other thing is, okay, so we need to shorten <laughs> the, the deal cycle when we're doing this. Here are the, the five elements in different conversations across, you know, let's say like a thousand calls we've analyzed that move the needle and then we take a snapshot of that metric at that point in time have about maybe two to three weeks recollect the new data and then say okay yeah we managed to shorten the sales cycle that then this this project and this enablement program has worked and then we just do that over and over again so it really depends on what that organization is looking what lever they're looking to improve at that time because again we've I've been doing this long enough where by long enough, I mean like diving into companies' data that people have so many dashboards, so many reports and everything else. Yeah. They're just looking, what's the lowest hanging fruit that I can execute in two to three hours and make an impactful change and I get visibility of that. <clears throat> yeah, that's not a bad plan. <laughs> Makes good sense. <laughs> but let me finish this on, on the sector. You walk into a business, they don't know anything about sales enablement, they're hiring aggressively, they're going through business transformation and releasing new products and turning new territories, et cetera. Where do they start, right? What do they need to, I guess, set up a, a program that's efficient and effective and can sort of meet a, a growth stage businesses, I guess, expectations to continue finding better efficiency in their sales organization? What can they implement? What sort of stats and triggers do they need to be looking for immediately? And like, how do you get started in this world as a lot of people are kind of at that stage? And if they're not just starting, they're sort of going through a maturity process, just like the rest of the market is. Where would you recommend to begin? Sure. So I think ground zero for me is one is I would join something called the Sales Enablement Collective, which has all of the best minds of of sales enablement in it. And most of my knowledge is gleaned from there, especially when I started doing research into this. The second would be, 
I would be, look very carefully at how you'd onboarded previous employees and go interview them, right? And say, okay, well, I onboarded you into the, the company and you joined when we were a small scrappy startup and there were two or three of us. What was missing from that? And that's a really good foundation is, is feedback. And actually, even no matter what size of organization you get, typically feedback from reps is, is what the VP of sales will use to identify if that enablement team is, is doing their job. But if you, obviously, if you're much smaller, you as the CEO or, or even the head of sales will have to have a very candid conversation, be like, okay, what, what could we have done better? So for that onboarding program, that's your foundation. Then I think the, the second piece that's really important there is, okay, what pieces of technology do I deem to be core? So I've obviously been talking a lot about conversation intelligence and I would describe it as a, a, a not a, a need to have, not a nice to have. And then I would focus on just Putting together those resources I mentioned earlier in a structured format, even if it's just, I mean, when we built our sales playbook, I think the initial version was maybe a hundred pages and that had every different kind of which way process, but we were a team of maybe a hundred, a hundred reps at that point, but for ground one, just get, okay, here are the, the five most common objections we get here are the five most common pain points and just keep it super simple. And then we started KPIing our team around improving that, that playbook of, okay, this is an objection we've never heard before. Here is the way that we handled it. And this was the outcome. And over a period of time, you start, you start building that up. And then that's your onboarding program. When you start building out your enablement team more specifically, yeah, I think you'd have to be, you have to be quite a mature organization. I'd, I'd say if you're operating with an enablement team of less than a hundred employees, Unless you're, let's say, 60 to 70% driven by sales, I would say you wouldn't need that, that expenditure. It's only typically implemented when you have two to three frontline managers and they need looking after and making sure that they're able to do the coaching as well as being able to do their own jobs. If you did want to implement some form of skeletal structure for an enablement program, I think the best thing to do is just start organizing a, a process to create customized training programs quarter by quarter and just say, okay, Joey, we're, we're going to focus on your quarter. We're going to try and shorten your sales cycle. And these are the six things that we're going to review either in a biweekly or, or monthly basis and do this for everyone else on your team. And before you know it, you'll start seeing, seeing those things change. But I think it's yeah really important just to pick a couple of levers and, and focus on maybe two or three at a time, or maybe even one across all of your team so you all understand it inherently and and just scale it from there and yeah that'd be it make it sound so simple hector <laughs> this is good man i think this is brilliant incredibly insightful and what you guys are doing specifically at comtora is i mean it, it's like a magic solution honestly so wishing all the best for that where can the people find you where can they find out more about the business and get in contact Sure. So I'm always reachable by LinkedIn for those listening and I recommend everyone else do this. And I've only had three people do it. I have a special code in my about section. And if you copy and paste that into your LinkedIn message, I will always reply to you. Otherwise I probably won't read it. <laughs> That's wicked. When, when did you develop that? Were you just getting I, bombarded I did with it. invitations yeah, I did it. and stuff all the time? I, yeah, yeah, I did it three weeks ago because I got, I got, I got so many I, I post a lot on LinkedIn. I try to post every day and yeah. I would say I get anywhere between five and 10 cold LinkedIn messages. 
for various different things. And I, I just got really bored of it. Sure. Um, sometimes I get value out of them and, you know, I'm, I like to think I'm pretty amicable. So I'll have a conversation with most people, but so much of it was rubbish. And then I started thinking, oh, do people even do research anymore? So I was like, I'm going to run a test. <laughs> it very clearly says, here is the code. If you say this in your message, I promise I will respond. And I've only had I two people that. so far. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I have the old, it's like the 2020 trick of having the emoji still in my name. So you can see yeah. if someone's, if they've sent you an automated message, right? Without editing it, right? There's still like an emoji where it says, hi, emoji Joey, as opposed to just saying, Joey, right? And my thing, and that, that filters most of it out for me, but you've got the next level to it. <laughs> I might need to try that out. <laughs> I've actually also got that as well. So I've got, yeah, lots of dinosaur emojis in my, uh, in my title. Yeah, so. there you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Good, man. Well, I appreciate the time back here. This is great. Everyone, please act. We'll put all the details in the bio of wherever you're listening to this. And yeah, thanks so much for the time. Awesome. Pleasure, Joey. Thanks so much. Bye.